This podcast was recorded at Hartford Street Zen Center, East Sanji, in San Francisco. Please help support our temple by making a donation at hszc.org. of my acquaintance uh, uh, when I would um, encounter her she would often say are you happy? and um, the question always struck me as a little odd but I uh, took to saying, sometimes. Um, uh, for, uh, for us Western practitioners, uh, happy is um, uh, one of those uh, terms that's common in our language, languages, that doesn't map very easily onto Buddhist vocabulary. Another one, of course, being my favorite, love. That also does not map very easily. Um, for that matter, neither does dukkha which is, uh, I think, in many instances, that may be the first element of Buddhist vocabulary that Westerners learn. Dukkha, of course, is um, often translated as suffering, which isn't, uh, again, that's not quite right either. Twitter acquaintance the other day wrote, um, what did she say? Something like, uh, uh, I had existential dread, so I took up knitting. Now I have existential dread and a hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's about right. <laughs> So, uh, dukkha, of course, is something is closer to something like 
existential dread. The, uh, the sense that our, uh, you know, our, our heartfelt and well-meant existence is papering over something that um, uh, in, the, uh, in the event will swallow us. So if existential dread is too, uh, if that's too dramatic, then, then I often take to saying uh, unease. But again, unease of a particular sort. Uh, once we leave the, um, the blessed realm of childhood, if it is, the blessed realm, because it isn't for everyone by any means. But once we leave that relatively sheltered time, uh, we, we eventually come up with some uh, maybe uh, uh, quiet but pervasive and persistent sense that something's a little off somewhere. And even if uh, a certain um, level of economic power that can be used to uh, tailor the environment uh, to a high degree, uh, I witness um, William Randolph Hearst's palace down there at San Simeon, or poor Michael Jackson's realm at whatever it was, Neverland, so it's called. Uh, even with a tremendous amount of power at one's fingertips, uh, there is a level of unease that I can't simply be more than very, very temporarily pushed aside. And that's what we mean by dukkha. And in Buddhism, the opposite of dukkha is sukha. And sukha simply means, um, you, could, you could say it means happiness, but actually what it means is something more like ease. So if, if dukkha is unease, sukha is ease. In uh, Sanskrit, often the two terms come together. In a, it's called a dvandva compound, sukha dukkhao, because they are so closely wedded. And for us, if we you know, examine our uh, experience of happiness, I think we have to admit that 
those occasions where we say, where we could say, oh, I'm happy. Um, basically, it's, there's sort of two categories. One is uh, we have a kind of a general sense of contentment in our life. Sometimes that inspires people to say that they are happy. Or a particular set of circumstances has uh, produced a kind of lifting of the spirit. A uh, beautiful sunset or splendid artwork or, or time with loved ones. where the current is a good, good feeling is rising. We call that happy. And of course, that is temporary. And its very temporariness is tied to what Buddha called dukkha. in our, um, our American uh, culture. We even have enshrined happiness in our found foundational documents <coughs> where we, we assert that uh, everyone is entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Interesting, they don't say the pursuit of life, the pursuit of liberty. They just say life, liberty. <coughs> so those were, I don't know, you can take for granted. But happiness, you have to pursue. In that context, I think usually that means um, Arranging one's life in a way that is gratifying. Circumstances are appealing and support our, our sense of ourselves. There's a, a church down on uh, 24th Street near the BART station, can't quite figure out whether what their politics are, but I was by there the other day, and uh, uh, there's a big banner, something about, I guess, uh, you know, we, we welcome everyone, and people who are, you know, <coughs> into this, 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 and it said, pursuing God. <laughs> Boy, if, if God is something or someone that we have to pursue, I think we're in trouble. So I thought that was a very strange choice of words. 
pursuit of happiness, pursuit of God. Something that is just always a little out of reach. suggests that we should vigorously pursue happiness until we can kind of, uh, I don't know, stake a claim there. You know, build a little house so that we can have the sense that we have arrived. Finally, we have arrived at happiness. We don't have to pursue it anymore. I think Buddha would, um, you know, he would uh, regard our struggles in that respect compassionately. But I don't think he would encourage us to base our life on the pursuit of something so <coughs> ephemeral. So if instead we uh, devote ourselves to not the pursuit, but maybe the study of uh, something, something more profound, something, so to speak, below the level of are constantly fluctuating feelings. <coughs> then I think we may be talking about something more like contentment, which comes much closer to what Buddhism means by sukha. is geared towards acquainting us with this person as contented. Uh, contented right in the midst, in the very heart of this life. <coughs> quickly uh, discover that that is not something that has to be, or indeed can be, pursued.
leave our, our temple precincts. We are out among uh, beings, many of whom, maybe most of whom, are pursuing happiness. And uh, you know, it doesn't seem to be going so well. natural response as practitioners is compassion. Uh, reading something the other day where, uh, I forget who, maybe a social psychologist or something, was arguing that um, uh, uh, compassion is uh, helpful and necessary, beneficial, but empathy is not. So that's interesting. So in that sense, uh, empathy basically means uh, you and the, if you like, object of your empathy are drowning in the same water. So that is maybe not so helpful. We all have moments of empathy and that's okay. But to cultivate it is maybe not so helpful. The word, of course, means um, to be, to enter pathos. Uh, that someone else is experiencing. <laughs> so we don't necessarily want to climb into someone else's pathos and thrash around with them. But as I've said before, compassion is not that. Compassion is the capacity to notice that beings are suffering and to be touched by that realization, to be uh, not defended against that realization, whether it's general the specific suffering of a specific being. And if we're, if we're drowning with that being, probably not going to be able to be much help. 
if the fact of their suffering we can allow to reach us. Maybe there are some possibilities there. and ancestors they're happy to meet us in our pursuit of happiness and uh, to uh, uh, whisper in our ears maybe that's not what you really want to be doing to be studying contentment or peace. That's, I, I found that to be very helpful and I'm very grateful to the Buddhas and ancestors for <clears throat> they're teaching in that regard. Well, we we have a, a meeting today, so I don't want to talk too long. Do you think? Am I selling happiness short? <clears throat> Maybe you have some question. A lot of the research that I've been doing with chaplaincy studies and particularly writing my thesis but working there's a term called compassion fatigue, which even neuroscience is now saying that that's not right and that it's empathic distress that's occurring that leads to burnout, um, to poor decisions in you know medical care, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, so yeah, it's very much this idea that compassion can be fatigued is, in the Buddhist sense, you know, that's an impossibility and the neuroscience is now coming along with that. Mm. And then they also often use a nautical term of coming alongside. So you have someone in distress, mm -hmm. they're drowning, but if you can get to them with a boat, 
Right. You're in the same water, but you have skillful means to um, to assist. Yeah. Yeah, that way you're not drowning too. This is right. I have a, kind of a couple of thoughts, but um, you know, if this is a stupid example, but so there's the song that says, uh, "I've got plenty of nothing, and nothing's plenty for me." Mm-hmm. But I don't know. There's some sense in. Um, I mean, I think there can be a real joy in contentment, um, where. Even like in some of the sutras, I know that talk about like your treasure store will open and you can access it at will or something like that. I mean, I think ironically there can be this real joy and wealth in uh, not getting trapped in the rat race and uh, the pursuit. But joy is like it can be considered sometimes a stronger emotion than happiness. Mm-hmm. I want to take issue with the pursuit being denigrated mm-hmm. dismissed. I don't think you mean it this way necessarily, but I think for all of us there is an intention that comes with you know, an intention to practice, an intention to be present, an intention to study the self, an intention to be compassionate, an intention to be wise. And all those things, um, uh, in sort of the most skillful sense, seem like they come from a place that's either you could call mysterious, thou, etc. that really doesn't come from something that you create yourself mm-hmm. and that you allow to sort of unfold. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, maybe that can look like a pursuit to an outsider. Yes. Um, yes. And maybe that sort of temporary head, um, headlining or window dressing of pursuit mm-hmm. might just be something to help get people out of the burning house. Um, Could be. Mm-hmm. I myself was guilty of vigorously pursuing, I don't know, my version of enlightened life for, for years. And it was actually a source of uh, considerable misery. Can I ask you then how you let that go? I'm not entirely clear, except that I think as I've related, one day my teacher said, knock it off. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, well, okay, I guess I could try that. Somewhere around there could happen. But I'm not exactly sure <coughs> in which switch I pulled. Mm-hmm. Thank you. 
they're pursuing me, they go after, right? Chase after, yeah. Yeah, it's so strange that, right? Like, did nothing go after. Yeah. And yet, it's really convincing and gives you a really false sense of belief or even delusion. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, where the, the authors of our foundational documents were coming from was a, a pretty rigidly stratified society in, in England where, you know, fine, pursue all you want, but you're not going to get anywhere. So the, the notion of founding a society where that would be actually possible, where you could actually change your situation and there wasn't some huge system in place to keep you where you were, that I can understand. So maybe that's, that's really a feel the Western and American in particular, combativeness, combativeness. Yes, I think so. And people feel like it's their their perfect right to do so. And in this country, I guess you could say it is. You know, good luck. Just because it's a right doesn't mean you have to use it. That's true. It need not be exercised. <laughs> and now, of course, kind of we have, looks like we have a situation where uh, some people have been so successful in their pursuit that there's nothing left for anybody else. It's like, oh, I don't think that was what was intended. <clears throat> here are to be congratulated for practicing Buddha's way and um, uh, becoming spokespeople for contentment, for peace, for sukha. Uh, and that is that's very generous on the part of all of you. And Again, uh, that doesn't mean you are consciously doing that. In fact, I hope you aren't. But I would say it's happening anyway. Thank you very much.